John chapter 7, beginning in verse 32. This is what the word of God has to say. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus said to them, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go the um, uh, dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come? One of the oldest, and I mean oldest, sales tricks, or maybe I should say techniques. One of the oldest sales techniques is to present a product in a way that, that indicates or communicates that you have limited opportunity to either purchase or to have it. You might hear it per, uh, phrased this way, for a limited, a limited time only, such and such is available. Or uh, buy now because we have limited stock. Or get it while it lasts. Or my favorite is the going out of business sale for the business that keeps going out of business every week but never actually goes out of business. These techniques create a sense of scarcity and a feeling of urgency on the buyer's part. And frankly, you and I live in a culture today that is overly saturated with commercials and sales pitches. And as a result of that, many of us become jaded. We've become skeptical of those type of approaches. And so when we hear a limited time only, going out of business, this is your only chance, we think, yeah, but I'm going to wait till tomorrow to see if it's really true. And even though there is a, I think a, we ought to have a healthy skepticism to such sales, sales pitches, we do have to understand that some opportunities, in fact, most opportunities, do not remain forever. Some examples. Almost everybody today gets their entertainment from one of the myriad of streaming services. Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, all, all of those, you, 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 you watch your TV that way. But before these things were available, now this will show your age if you know what I'm talking about. There was a company called Blockbuster. Who knows Blockbuster? Who had a Blockbuster card? Come on now. <laughs> now for those of you who have no clue what all of us old people are talking about, there once was a day when you wanted to watch a movie that you had to, on, on Friday, you had to go to the Blockbuster store and you'd walk up and down the aisles and you would debate this movie, that movie, this movie, that movie. You'd spend forever in the blockbuster, but you'd rent your movie, you'd go home, you'd watch your movie, and then you had to rewind, be kind and rewind, come on. And then you would, uh, <laughs> y'all remember, and then there was a little slot. You had to make sure you had, like a, like a library book, you had to put it back before you got your late fees. And, uh, and then you start the whole process, process off the next day. Now here's what you need to know about blockbuster. In their heyday, they owned the video rental market. I mean, they were huge. And at the height of their, of, their, of, their, of their business success, they had an opportunity to buy a little company called Netflix. Netflix at the time was a DVD by mail company. Nobody really paid much attention to them. And they had an opportunity to buy Netflix for 50 
million. That sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? At the time, the CEO of Blockbuster said, Netflix is a niche market. Nobody cares about that. It's not going anywhere. Within 10 years of that opportunity, Blockbuster was bankrupt. And today, Netflix is valued at over $143.9 billion. That was a missed opportunity. Or how about this? Today, Google is a verb. But long before it was a verb, it was a company and a, and, and a noun. Google, a search engine. In 1999, it was just a little bitty, small startup search engine company. And frankly, it wasn't the biggest and it wasn't the most well-known. And Google was desperate for cash. The, the founders were really wanting to sell out. And so they tried to sell Google to Excite, which most of you don't even know what that is. But at the time, it was a large search company. They tried to sell themselves to Excite for $750,000. Excite passed. We don't need Google. A few years later, they were, uh, the, the owners of Google, again, were wanting to cash out on what they had started, and so they offered to Yahoo to sell the company for $1 million. Yahoo said, nah, we're good. It wasn't too long after that that Yahoo realized that they had missed an opportunity and went to Google and said, we'd like to buy you now for $1 million. And at that time, Google was realizing that their market value was on the way up, and they said, no, we won't take $1 million, we'll take Five million, and Yahoo said, Oh, that's too rich for us, we'll pass. Today, Google is worth $300 billion. A missed opportunity. This one makes me sick, just the thought of it. Most of you know the name Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak. If you don't know who those guys are, they were the co founders of Apple Computer Company, Macintosh, iPods, iPhones, iPads, all of that. But what you may not know is there was a third co-founder by the name of Ronald Wayne. When they started the company, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak were the young techno guys, sort of the, the, the wild ones. And Ronald Wayne was the adult in the room. He was a local businessman. He had the money. They had the idea. And so he had funded the business. But not long after they, they founded uh, Apple Computer, he got nervous that these two young men were going to cause him some liability in business that he didn't want. And so he decided within the first year that he would sell his 10% stake in Apple Computer Company. And he did. They bought him out for $2,300. Today, Apple, com Apple Computer Company is valued at $2.06 trillion. Oh, that was a missed opportunity. Now, I don't know any of these players. I don't know them personally. But undoubtedly, if the players in these three events could go back in time, they would make different decisions and they would take the opportunities that they had. Now that's, hindsight's clear, isn't it? I mean, if you could own 10% of a $2 trillion company, you would go, oh, well, of course. But we understand, like all of these people that, that are involved in those decisions, that opportunities do, do not last forever. In fact, most things have a limited opportunity to receive them. The passage that we read this morning is an interesting passage because of what's beginning to diverge in this passage. 
The reason why the Pharisees and the priests are, are beginning to move against Jesus is because some people are beginning to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, let me just set the stage here. Jesus, the Son of God, the one through whom all things were, were created, eternal God in the flesh, dwelling among people, Jesus. Everybody in this passage had the opportunity, unlike any of us, to stand in the presence of Jesus physically. Some were believing that he was the Christ, and some were rejecting. From our passage today, I want to make the case that, first of all, salvation is available to each one of you today. You have an opportunity today to receive Jesus. But secondly, that opportunity will not remain forever. And I want to encourage you, friends. I mean, I, I make no ashamed, I'm not ashamed about this at all. I want to press you to decide today for Jesus. But let's begin here. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. And I want to give you two warnings that I see out of this passage connected to this truth that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. And the first is there is a warning against the danger of false assurances. The danger of false assurances. Now, this passage is the first time that John records in his gospel account that the Pharisees begin their attempt to arrest or to silence Jesus. Make no, do not be confused here. Their purpose, the chief priest and the Pharisees, who by the way, were two groups that did not like each other politically, but found common ground in their hatred for Jesus. This is, they would move, they would eventually move toward attempting to, to kill Jesus, but, but they are at, very, at the very least trying to silence Jesus. And their desire to silence Jesus will eventually lead them to plot his murder. And the reason why the Pharisees and, and, and the chief priests are actively attempting to silence Jesus is that some people are coming to believe that he is the Christ or the Messiah. So if you still have your Bibles open, just look up one verse in verse 31. It says, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than th this man has done? So th their hearts are beginning to turn toward Jesus, awaken to who he is, believe in faith that he is indeed the Christ. And these men, whether they are Pharisee or chief priest, these men had dedicated their lives to God. The Pharisees in particular had dedicated their lives to being holy and righteous before God. And here they are rejecting the Lamb of God who came to save us from our sins. They could not see who Jesus was because they had a false assurance in their own ability to be righteous before God. They were confident in their ability to be righteous, so much so that, their, that in their arrogance, they rejected God himself, Jesus. They were confident in their own ability to know the will of God, so much so that they rejected the Son of God. A friend's false assurance provides confidence while heading directly toward destruction. This is the warning that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where he writes... While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. He, Paul is talking about the day of God's judgment. 
Friends, do not find any peace or security in the false assurances of men. The only hope of salvation is found in Jesus. There is no salvation found anywhere else but in Jesus. Now, now connected to the, 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 false sense of the false assurance or the danger of false assurance is the arrogance of self-righteousness. Now, these are, these are close. These are cousins. But, but I wanted to make a distinction here. The, the, the danger of false assurance, but secondly, the, the arrogance of self-righteousness. So the second warning is connected to the first in that that many rely on false assurances. That would be secular theory or or human wisdom. But but the Pharisees' false assurance rested on their arrogance of self-righteousness. So their assurance was built on their sense of their self-righteousness before God. They were confident that they were good people. They were confident that they were right with God. They were confident they were accepted by God. Listen, I, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, it would, it, it's, it's countless, how many times I've had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, and at some point in the conversation, they begin to tell me a list of all the reasons why they are a good person. And I've heard everything. <laughs> I mean, everything under the sun. Well, I, I coach a little league, or... You know, I saw somebody in need the other day driving down the road and I pulled over and I gave the folks some money. Listen, those things are good. You ought to help the poor. You ought to coach Little League. But those things do not, they don't assuage the guilt of your sin. Doing a good thing does not make you a good person. Doing, attempting to, to be good in our culture does not make you right before a holy God. The Pharisees, their arrogance of self-righteousness would lead them to absurdly, to the absurdity of attempting to kill Jesus, God himself, in the name of God. Don't miss this. These men were acting in their own confidence that they were acting according to the will of God. So they were attempting to silence Jesus because they thought they were serving God. They they were trying to kill God in the flesh because they thought they were servants of the living God. Now, looking backwards on their behavior, we, think, we, we say, that's ridiculous, that's absurd. But in the moment, they were confident because they, were, they, were, they, they had an arrogance in their own self-righteousness. Before you're too harsh in your judgment on the Pharisees, be mindful that we often attempt to justify our own lives with good deeds. In his little book titled, Can I... Can I be sure I'm saved? R.C. Sproul wrote these words. He says, a person's works are counterfeit, are are a counterfeit basis of assurance. The scriptures make very clear that no one is justified by the works of the law. In other words, no one is saved by their works no matter how great. You can't uncondemn yourself. You can't ever balance the scales. You can't do more good than bad. That's not how the righteousness of God works. The Bible says if you are guilty of one part of the law, it's as if you were guilty of every part of the law. So just imagine you've never broken a single law of God, but this afternoon on the way home, somebody cuts you off on Plant Avenue and you call them an idiot. The Bible says if you call them an enemy, you're guilty of, of murder. And the Bible says if you've broken one part of the law, it's as if you've broken all of the law. So even if you had lived up to that moment and never broken any of the law from that moment on, you're condemned before a holy God. 
There's nothing you can do that would outdo the, 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 the condemnation of your sin already. No one is saved by their works, no matter how great. Salvation comes only through the work of Jesus on the cross. Now, let me, let me explain how that works. You can die for your sins. That's the way it works. So it's appointed to each of us once to die, and then the judgment. If you stand in your own sin and your own righteousness, you can die, and your death will assuage for your sins. Jesus, who knew no sin, who lived sinlessly, died as the perfect Lamb of God, and his death can stand in for your sin. You see how that works? That's why he can die for you. I can't die for you. I have my own sin. You can't die for me. You have your own sin. But Jesus, who knew no sin, can die for us. That's why we say salvation is found only in Jesus. Now, more specifically to this passage, here's the point. Salvation is available today. I'm sure your family has things that are little sayings that are passed down from one generation to the next. One of the things that was passed down through my family is the the phrase, you better dance while the band is playing. You better dance while the band is playing. That was, I I heard that a lot growing up. And what it means is, you better take the opportunity while it's available because it won't last forever. The availability of the opportunity won't last forever. You better dance while the band is playing. I think this is the issue in verse 34. Verse 34, Jesus says, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The hostility of those who are opposing Jesus is leading them to reject him while he could be found. Well, just a couple of things here. Number one, the opportunity for salvation is available today, but it will not last forever. The, God's grace will not last forever. The amazing reality of the moment that John records in these verses is that these men had the amazing opportunity to witness the earthly ministry of Jesus. Now, that's off the chart amazing. In fact, it's so amazing. When, when Thomas, you remember doubting Thomas who couldn't believe that Jesus had really risen from the dead? When, when Thomas saw the, the scars on Jesus' hand and believed and confessed Jesus as Lord, Jesus' response to him was to congratulate and to celebrate that Thomas believed. But listen to what he says. He said, Thomas answered him, my Lord, and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Thomas. These Pharisees, these chief priests had the ability to see Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh. That's a pretty amazing opportunity. The point that Jesus is making is twofold. He will not physically remain with them forever and that the opportunity to believe will not remain forever. It is important, dear friends, to seek the Lord while he may be found. Prophet Isaiah said it this way in chapter 55, verse 6. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Friends, there's coming a day when the opportunity will be no more. 
And in the day, the lost will seek Jesus, but he will not be found. That's a hard word to say. I would add to that a plea. Do not wait. The reality of it is no one knows the number of their days and no one knows the plans of God. Most of us, I dare say all of us, assume that we have tomorrow. Most of us making plans right now for Monday morning. I got plans for Monday night, amen? Some of y'all do too. Because we're assuming that Monday's going to follow Sunday and Tuesday's going to follow Monday. We, we make those assumptions. But the reality of it is, friends, we don't know the number of our days personally, and we certainly don't, don't know the plans of God. There may not be a Tuesday. As a result, many will put off surrendering their lives to Jesus, thinking that they have time to decide later. But no one, not one of us knows if we have another minute or another day of our lives, nor do we know the plans of God and, or, or when Jesus will return, and no one knows when the Lord will return. And, and all we know about that is that it will catch all of us off guard. In fact, the Bible refers to the second coming of Jesus like it will be a thief, like it'll be a thief in the night. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not, would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. The Son of Man is, is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's going to catch us all off guard. We're going to be expecting a Tuesday to come when Tuesday doesn't come. Second Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The fool thinks that his heart, in his heart that he is the master of his days and in authority over his hours. And in that foolishness, he will put off salvation for the love of sin. My encouragement to you today, dear friends, is to choose today to be rescued from the condemnation of sin. Do not wait. Give your life to Jesus today. The phrase that is often used is that today is the day of salvation. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where it says, For he says, I am in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In other words, the Bible's saying today is the opportunity. Today is the availability of salvation. The lack of righteous fear tempts us to reject salvation and or put off salvation. Now listen to me carefully on this point. Putting off this decision is not a neutral decision. So some of you have heard the gospel before and instead of responding, you, you, you thought in your heart, I, I'm in agreement, moving in that direction, but, I, but whatever the, the reason, going to wait, it's not a good time for me. 
And you did that with, without a sense of dread or fear because you assumed that waiting, that putting off was neutral, that it was neither bad nor good. It wasn't hostile. It was just a neutral, sort of a benign decision. But listen to me carefully. To hear the word of the Lord, to hear the gospel and, and have an invitation to come and say, no, I think I'll wait. It's not a neutral or benign decision. It is an active rejection of the only way unto salvation. Friends, that's not neutral. That's actively rejecting the gift of God that has been provided for you through Jesus Christ. Friends, salvation has been made available through Jesus to you today. That's why when, when Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is an absolute statement. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And this is my favorite part of that whole passage. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. In other words, no one who believes in faith is rejected. No one who believes and confesses Jesus as Lord discovers that salvation is not real. In fact, no one will be put to shame. All those who believe shall be saved. Today, don't know about tomorrow, but today is the day of salvation. I don't know how long the earth will spin. And I don't know how long you have on this earth, but I know this. Today is the day of salvation. I read the story of Ian Connell. He was a helicopter pilot with the um, Coast Guard that was stationed in Mobile, Alabama. On August the 30th, 2005, he received his orders, and the orders were this, that he and the other crews were told to keep their five H-60 helicopters airborne on missions at all times around the clock. And if you remember what was happening on August the 30th, 2005, that was Hurricane Katrina. They were to keep their helicopters in the air on rescue missions and on a constant base, trying to rescue as many people as they could as the waters rose, continued to rise, and they knew that those who were caught in those floodwaters were about to experience some horrific conditions. The air crews got right to work. They were prepared for this. This is what they trained to do. They began to fly rescue missions and, and, and go into the, uh, the, the, the affected areas airlifting people from their rooftops and out of windows and delivering them to, the, um, to safety. But what they discovered was that they were not able to help all that many people. In fact, relatively few. This is what he said. He said, on our first three missions, we saved the lives of 89 people. That sounds like a lot, but it really wasn't. Three dogs and a cat. And he says, on the fourth mission, to our great frustration, we saved no one. It wasn't because they weren't flying. It wasn't because they weren't trying. He said the dozens we attempted to rescue simply refused to be picked up. They wanted to stay where they were. In fact, what they, what they told them is instead of taking us to safety, what we'd rather y'all do is just bring us some water and supplies, but we'll stay right here. 
He said they, they felt frustrated and angry. They'd used up precious time and fuel and effort. But he realized that the truth was that the people did not realize how desperate of a situation they were in. Crews had been sent. Millions of dollars had been spent to save them. And they said, I'll wait. Maybe another day. How about just a bottle of water? Dear friends, the destruction and danger of a hurricane does not compare to the eternal destruction and condemnation of eternity in hell. Jesus died for you that you might be forgiven of your sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The gospel is preached today that you might hear the good news and the hopeful word of God's salvation. Believe and be saved. But you must choose. The opportunity is now, but you must choose. Either surrender your life in believing faith unto Jesus and be saved, or reject him, wait for another day, and remain in the condemnation of your sin. My plea to you today is believe on Jesus today. Because the opportunity is now. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.